Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. We're going to get back to what we never got to last last week. We said we were going to uh, do a short teaching about healing. You know, healing is something that uh, you and I, if you've been here very long, know that, that one of the things that we promote the most around here is things like healing, prosperity, victory, deliverance. And you know, that's what salvation is all about. If you go over to Romans 1, hallelujah. I don't like handheld mics. I do not know why PG likes it and Steve likes it, but I do not. I like both of my hands free. <laughs> so you can go, wee! Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> go to Romans chapter 1. Hallelujah. Oh, let's see. This is not the, this is not the verse I was looking for. Oh, yeah. There it is, verse 16. It says, uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know the gospel is the good news. There's good news in the gospel. I don't know why people seem to think that when somebody shares the gospel with you that it's something to be shunned, something to run from, something to go, "Ah, no, don't want to hear it, because they don't understand it's good news. God's got everything good to share with us. You know, and it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, I was raised in kind of a hellfire and brimstone kind of environment, and that, that helped me for about three days until I got past the scared part of it. You know, it didn't, I didn't retain, you know, that, that element of wanting to serve God because it was, an, it was a fear-based thing. But I'm telling you what, when you understand how good God is, it becomes a joy and a delight and a pleasure and an honor to serve him. So the Apostle Paul says here, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, that word salvation there is a multi-purpose word. It means salvation. And see, most people just think salvation is just getting born again. You, you know this. It's just been getting born again. Just You got your put, ticket punched. You're on your way to heaven. You know, and, and again, you know, I was raised in an environment was when we all get to heaven. It'll be, it'll be wonderful over there. You know, just a few more weary days and then... Listen, it's a few more happy days here. It's victory here. It's victory now. It's good living the good life in this, in this life. Hallelujah. He intends for us to have here what we're going to enjoy heaven to a greater degree. You know, there is no way we're going to enjoy what heaven has to offer, but there's a portion, there's a part, there's a, there's a, there's a level that we that he wants us to enjoy here so that when we get to heaven, we go, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, that was good. This is better, way better. But this word salvation includes so much more than just getting to go to heaven. Now, if that's all there was, that would be wonderful. But it's not. He never intended for it to be all that there was. But it goes on. It means salvation. It means deliverance. We've heard two stories of deliverance tonight. It means preservation, it means safety, it means healing, and it means soundness. 
I mean, it covers all the territory. You know, God intends for us to be, well, Jesus said, he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so, you know, we say, we think at first glance that, that verse, we think I've come that you might have life. Well, he's talking about eternal life, but yet he means life abundantly. You know, when you get born again and, and your spirit man gets recreated and you're a new creature in Christ, that's about as abundant as you can get in that category. I mean, are there levels of life, of eternal life? No. Once you got it, you got it. It's like being pregnant. Either you are or you're not. There's not, there's, you're, not you're not just a little bit pregnant or a lot pregnant. You're just pregnant. That's just all there is to it. You're just pregnant. It's just more obvious at one part than it is at another, but you're pregnant. Listen, when you're born again, you're born again. End of sentence. You're born again. There's not different levels of being born again. It's born again. I have been born from above. I've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. You know, I will live forever seated in heaven with him at the right hand of the Father. You know, all things in heaven are mine to enjoy. But listen, he wants you to have the abundant life here. He's provided that we can have an abundant life naturally and physically, emotionally, in our relationships, every area of our lives. He wants us to have that life and have it abundantly. The good life. We're living the good life because it's a good gospel. It's a good savior. It's a good father. It's a, it's a good everything. And he wants to enjoy us, have us enjoy the good of everything that this world has to offer. You know, it says that the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. It says all the gold and silver are mine. And God gave that. I mean, he's placed all the resources that this earth holds here for you and me. Everything is here for you and me. So it makes good sense to understand that God wants us well. He wants us healed. He, want, he really ultimately wants us to walk in a place of such understanding of the Scripture that we stay well all the time. And that's what we're working toward. But you know, in the meantime, we have issues that come up in our bodies and it's, and he wants us to be well. He wants us to be healed. And so the very first time that, that God revealed himself as a healer was over in Exodus. Why don't you go over there with me? You've read this recently, you know, in our, in our Bible study, uh, that we're, um, or Bible reading plan that we have. Hallelujah. Exodus 15 verse 26. Hallelujah. I know you've read it, you know, here recently, so you know what was happening with the children of Israel. It says in verse 26, and he said, If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and will do what is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am, I am, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Listen, this is not a historical account that's just led you to believe that this is something that happened in days gone by. He is the great I am, always in the present tense, never in a past sense, but in the present tense. I am right now, whatever date is on the calendar, whether it is, you know, 3,000 years B.C. or whether it is 2,000 A.D., you know, he is the I am of this particular moment in time. I am the Lord that healeth thee. And, you know, he, he's, he demonstrated himself all through the Old Testament as the God who heals you. And if you go over then to, uh, let's see, Psalms 103. 
Hallelujah. Great psalm, isn't it? Hallelujah. Psalm 103. You could get happy in Psalm 103. Hallelujah. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Benefits are wonderful things. If you're on the job and they have benefits for you, it won't do you any good if you don't participate in the benefit package. God wants us to participate in the benefits that he has laid out for us. And what are some of his benefits? Who forgives all your iniquities. Hallelujah. Who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Hallelujah. There's five verses of happiness right there. Five verses to praise God about. Five verses that we can get, we can get to shout on about. Five verses that we can get victorious over. Five verses we can run about. Hallelujah. For he is the Lord who heals, who forgives all my iniquities. Thank God he didn't leave anything out. At the same time, he heals all my diseases. He didn't leave anything out. Hallelujah. Who redeems my life from destruction, crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies, and who satisfies my mouth with good things. I'm telling you what, the benefits that God has laid out for us cannot be equaled by anything man can come up with. I tell you what, it doesn't cost you anything to receive these benefits. He has offered them freely, given them graciously, given it abundantly, and all we have to do is just say, it's mine, I take it now. Isn't that wonderful? But if you don't know about it, how are you going to get involved in it? If you go work for a company that has a lot of benefits, if nobody tells you about it, you're not going to participate in it. But then again, once you start participating, isn't it nice for every once in a while somebody come up, come along and say, hey, you're not, really, you're not really partaking of your benefit package as much as you should. Well, that's what we're doing tonight. I want you to find out what's in the benefit package. I want you to partake of it more fully tonight. I want you to leave here tonight just assured once again of who God is and what he's done in you, what he's done for you, what he intends for you to live in, what he intends for your life and your body to look like. Hallelujah. Who heals all your diseases. All your diseases. All your diseases. Hallelujah. And then Jesus came. Hallelujah. God in the flesh. And what did Jesus say? He said over in John 4, 34, he said, I came to do the will of my Father. He came to demonstrate the healer in the flesh. And that's exactly what he did. He says, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. The things that I do, I do because he sent me here to do them. He's, you can see what he wants to do for you by, by, by what I'm demonstrating that I'm doing. And so tonight we just want to just kind of go back over some things. We want Proverbs 4.24 says, incline your ear, let them not depart from you. I just want you just to be reestablished again in the fact that God 
is the healer, the great healer. You know, Paul said in Hebrews, he said, he said, there are times when you need to be taught again. We all need to be reminded, and we need to go over it again what our benefits are, what belongs to us, what we can have, what we should be enjoying, instead of walking around not enjoying things that are just readily accessible. And so I really tonight I want to go with and take you over to Matthew because, you know, when you start thinking about somebody when they say, I am this or I am that, I want to do this for you, you know, one of the places that you start is you start by looking at the person and finding out what their characteristics are and uh, what exactly, you know, what they're like so that you can know whether you can depend on them or not. You know, there are, there are people in life who will tell you that you can, they'll do a lot of things. And how many of you have ever had somebody tell you, I'm going to do this for you and, and never come through? Anybody by me? Yeah. Well, God's not that kind of person. Like I said before, he is the great I am, not the great I was, not the great I will be. He, st- he stands at a place in time that is current. It's present. It's for today. It's not for tomorrow, although tomorrow when you get there, the same mercies will be waiting for you. The same healing will be waiting for you. The same blessing will be waiting for you. The same benefits will be waiting for you. But we're concerned about today. Today is where we live. And today is where God says, I am, I am the Lord who heals you. But in Matthew, I want you to see here, we're going to read the first um, 17 verses of Matthew chapter 8. And there's four characteristics that come out in, this, in these passages. And um, we're just going to go over these. So let's just start in verse 1. I'm reading from the regular King James. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, See that you tell no man, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go your way. As you have believed, so be it done unto you. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities 
and bear our sicknesses. Now, there's a lot in these 17 verses, but there are four attributes that we're going to look at. Number one, we're going to look at his willingness. Number two, his authority. Number three, his compassion. And number four, his capacity. And you know, when, when somebody says to you, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for you, you have to know them well enough to know that they're capable of doing that, that you can trust that when they say they're going to do it, they're not only going to, but they can. Most people do not have a problem with the fact that God can heal. I mean, after all, he did make the universe. After all, he did put the sun, the moon, the stars in, the, in its place. He said, let there be light. There was light. I mean, you can, you can see his handiwork all through creation. You can look through the Old Testament and see where he did things like part the Red Sea, part the Jordan, where he brought fire down, you know, and consumed the prophets of Baal. I mean, you talk about miracles. There are all kinds of accounts in the Old Testament of a God who can do a whole lot of good stuff, a whole lot. But here Jesus is, you know, he is God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Well, you could actually touch him. You could actually talk to him. You could be with him. And so the disciples made an account of all the things that they saw while they were with him, that places where he demonstrated himself to be the son of God. And so nobody had a question that God can do something. That's what you find all the time is people say, God, they, oh, I know God can. But the very first thing you need to have established in your life where healing is concerned is God's willingness to heal. In this, in this uh, verse here, chapter, chapter 8, let's go in verse 2. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. One translation of that says, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. If you want to. See, so yeah, that kind of puts the rubber where, the, where it meets the road. You know, Lord, if you, if you will, you can, you can do this. No, for us, Lord, if you want to, you can, you can do this. You, we have no question, no doubt in our minds of his ability to do it. But we sometimes fail to understand his willingness. If he wants to, he always wants to. Let me answer that question for you once and for all. He always wants to heal. And I'm not telling you something that most of you don't already know. But it needs to become so clear in our lives that we never, ever question it again. That we get so built up in the fact that we know without a shadow of a doubt that he wants to. That that never is an issue with us, ever. Because the enemy is always out there trying to tell you things. And... And he'll try to tell you God doesn't want to this time for various reasons. Well, you don't deserve it. You don't do this. You don't do that. And I'm getting ahead of myself, so I will stop right there with that. But anyway, it says here, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand, touched him, saying, I will. Another translation says, of course I want to. Of course I want to. And he said, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You know, his willingness is demonstrated by the fact that he never said no to anybody. You will not find an account of that anywhere in the scriptures. Now, to me, if, if that was even 
a possibility in the mind of God, he would have put some kind of an example in that, in here at some point for us to see. He didn't. He never said no to anybody. Absolutely none. And so he's not saying no to you today. He's not going to say no to you today. Don't let the enemy talk you into getting to a place where you think God won't do what he's already said he will do, that he already wants to do, that he already intends to do. All he needs is our cooperation. That's all he needs. You just cooperate with him. You believe him. You trust him. And he and, and understand, he wants to do exactly what you need him to do. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly what he, you need. And so, so that's the very first thing. You know, and that's the, the hardest thing I think people have to get a, a grip on is his, his determination to make us understand that he wants to so badly. I mean, I've, I've been around so many times and so many places where, well, you know, if, 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 it God's, if it's God's will. You know, you need to carry around a battery of scriptures with you when somebody says that and say, you need to look at this. You need to look at these, these scriptures and understand you don't even have to say if it's God's will, he'll heal me. You don't even have to say that anymore. You don't have to look at any situation and go, well, if it's God's will, he'll, he'll do that. Well, of course it's his will. I mean, he put this out for it. He took his own child his own son, and had him hanging on a tree. The stripes that he bore were for our benefit, for the healing of our bodies. Do you think he would have left anybody out? Do you think he would have said, oh, this was only going to be for a few people, you know, but not many? No. No, he did it for everyone. He did it because he was willing. He did it because he wanted to. Jesus himself made himself that sacrifice because he was willing to show how much the Father wanted to heal by enduring what he endured. Isn't, I mean, when you stop and you think about that, Jesus had a choice. But he put his will in line with the Father's will so that we would always know without a shadow of a doubt that we would never have to question it ever again. Fantastic, isn't it? I mean, it's, it, when you think about it, it's, it's an overwhelming thing. He wants to. He always wants to. That's the key. He always wants to. The problem when people don't get healed is never on the end of God's willingness. It never has anything to do with whether he wants to or not. It always has something to do with our end, our willingness to accept what he's already done. By getting out of the way of our own thoughts getting all out of the way of our own view of the symptoms, the circumstances, the, the reasons why, you know, I don't think I can go and ask God, you know, to heal me. I mean, I, I remember one time years and years ago, I got really mad about something, and I kicked something, and I broke my toe. And so I hobbled around for two or three weeks because of a broken toe. It wasn't, I, it wasn't pastor, no. <laughs> it, uh, I think I have mellowed since those days. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I, I limped around and somebody said, well, why don't you just pray for it? I said, nope, I deserve everything I got. You know what? There are people today who think they, they're not, they can't ask God to heal them because they deserve what they got. Maybe because of lifestyle choices. 
Maybe because of disobedience somewhere. No, I can't ask God to heal me because, because I, I don't deserve to be healed. Listen, God didn't heal you and provide healing for you based on whether you deserved it or not. He provided healing because he loves you. He loves you so completely, so fully, so totally that he doesn't care what you did. He's willing to heal you. Do you know he's willing to heal even the sinner? I mean, he heals them out of his mercy. And he's willing to heal because his mercy is what led him to send Jesus. His love and his mercy sent Jesus to the cross. The love and the mercy that Jesus had for us is what kept him on that cross. And so God knows that, that if somebody will just believe him, I'm not sure that in the next part of this, of this chapter, the centurion was even born again. But he recognized something in Jesus. He recognized a willingness to heal people. And he asked him to, to come and heal his servant. Listen, as an unbeliever, you can throw yourself on the mercy of God. But as a believer, it belongs to you. It's your right to be healed. It is the children's bread. It is something God has done for us, and it's all part of the package of salvation. The benefit package includes healing. It includes it. And so we go to God on the basis of our benefits, not our actions. Because I'm telling you what, there'd be a whole lot of days where I wouldn't even say hi to God. You know, if it was just based on my actions, that he, whether he was going to listen to me or not. Anybody there? You know, okay, all right. So we get the willingness put down as, as something, okay, done. In my mind, in my heart, I have I've settled it. God is willing. God wants to. God always wants to. There will never be a time in my life where he refuses to heal me, doesn't want to heal me, doesn't think it's a good idea for me to be healed. No, he always wants to. Unqualified. That is an unqualified decision he has made. Amen. So in this, in go, going on through this chapter, when the centurion comes to him, the centurion says, you know, you don't, 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 don't even come to the house. No, don't, don't come. I, you, don't, you don't need to come. He recognized himself as a Gentile, not, not a Jew. And so Jews weren't supposed to go into where Gentiles were. They weren't supposed to go into their homes. And so he recognized that. And he said, he said to the Lord, he said, he said I, I'm not worthy. I, I'm, I'm not a Jew. I don't have a covenant. You know, but I recognize you're the healer. He said, I'm not worthy that you should come to my home. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them, that followed, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith. No, not in Israel. The centurion recognized the authority that Jesus walked in recognized that. And that all he had to do was speak the word and the word would be carried out. You know, Jesus, let's go over to Matthew 7. You're just right there close by Matthew 7, 29. You know, Jesus had been teaching. And at the end of the time where he was teaching, in verse 28, it says, it came to pass when Jesus had ended the sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority. And not as the scribes. How about that? One verse, one chapter. Well, of course, you know, it wasn't the words not divided in chapter and verse. But here, and here it says he taught them as one having authority. And in the next few verses, he demonstrates the authority that he has. 
Isn't that wonderful? Over in Mark, go to Mark. See, this is where I need both my hands. Mark 1. Twenty-two. Again, he had been teaching. In verse 22, they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And then, let's see, Mark one twenty-seven. And they were all amazed, and so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What is this new doctrine? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Isn't that interesting? Look at that. Verse 22, he taught us one having authority. You go down just a couple of verses later, and he, and he, and he casts out demons. Verse 27 talks about his authority, and immediately he went out and did something with that authority. Listen, he has the authority. He has been delegated the authority. The wonderful thing about it is that authority has now been delegated to you and me. Hallelujah. At the end of Matthew, it talks about having all power, all authority has been given to you and, uh, to go. Take the authority I'm giving you and go. Do something with it. Listen. He didn't give his authority to you and me for us to just sit our hands with it. He put his authority in our lives and in, and in, our, and in, our, in our capacity to use for us to do something with it. That's why in Mark, in the 16th chapter of Mark, it talks about going out and what does it say? Take a look at it. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. That's your authority. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if any deadly thing, if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's what he intended to do with his authority. That's what he intends us for us to do with his authority. It's been delegated to us. You know, because over in Luke... Go to Luke, Luke 4, hallelujah, this applies to you and me today, Jesus was in the temple, he took the book, he started reading out of Isaiah, in the 18th verse it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, anybody out there that has the spirit of the Lord upon them? Hallelujah. You're baptized in the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. Well, he's not just talking about captives that are in jail. There are people who are bound by a lot of things, bound up in prisons of their own making, bound up in prisons of the flesh, bound up in prisons of the mind, bound up in prisons of, of habits, bound up in prisons of, of all kinds of things. He has sent us to preach deliverance to the captives. They can be free, hallelujah. Recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Man, that's a big mandate for people who have this kind of authority. And yet it's not too big a job for the people who are called by his name. He would demonstrate it in these, in these chapters, in these verses in Matthew 8. Number one, how willing he was. 
Number two, that he did it because of the authority that belonged to him. Number three, compassion. Listen, I got to looking today at this. And verse three, go back to verse three. Well, let's go back to verse two. The leper came to him and said, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. Jesus, listen, before Jesus did anything, it says he put forth his hand and touched him. Do you know how bad that was amongst the Jewish people? You never touch a leper. A leper is unclean. If you touch a leper, you are now unclean. Lepers were, would walk down the road, and if anybody came near them, they would have to, to call out, unclean, 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 so that people could walk way around them, not get anywhere near them. And yet Jesus, before he did anything, before he said anything, he came over and he touched the leper put his hand on him. Can you imagine how long it might have been since another human being had touched that man? How long had it been since he had felt the touch of another person? Jesus was moved with compassion. And so he immediately reached out his hand and he touched that leper before he even said, of course I want to be thou clean. Listen, I got to look in today, and I thought, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people who say, well, I, you know, I'm sympathetic. Well, what is sympathy? So I got to looking. I actually went to the dictionary and looked up sympathy, the fact or power of sharing the feelings of another, especially in sorrow or trouble. You and I can have sympathy for them. What is it? I feel for you, son. I feel for you, ma'am. I feel for you. Then there's empathy. Empathy is identifying with somebody's trouble, with somebody's sorrow, with somebody's situation. You identify with it. Mostly, empathy it comes from a place of where, because maybe you've had that same experience, you know exactly how they feel. You know exactly what they're going through. That's empathy. I, underst- I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from because I've been there. That's empathy. Sympathy means I just feel bad for you. I feel your pain. I feel for you. But let me tell you what compassion is. This is what compassion is. A feeling of deep sympathy or sorrow for another who is stricken by suffering or misfortune. Accompanied. Listen to that word. Accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the pain or remove its cause. Jesus was not just sympathetic. He wasn't empathetic. He was compassionate. He not only felt their, their pain, but he had a great, a great, 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 great desire to alleviate the cause of that pain and that suffering. We serve the most compassionate God that there is who knows what we're going through who knows how we feel, who understands everything about it, who is moved by those things, but who has a strong desire to alleviate the cause of all of it. Not only does he have a strong desire, but but we know from what we just read that he doesn't only have a strong desire, but he also is going to do it. 
He's willing to do it. He wants to do it. You know, there are times when you, you come across somebody, you have a you heart, heart of compassion for them, but in and of yourself, there's not much you can do to take away the, the, the pain that they're suffering. But see, Jesus did. He, 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 had, he had that. And that's our next one, is capacity. He has the capacity to take care of it all. If you go back to compassion, you find out that, that Jesus was, was moved with the centurion's faith. He had compassion on that servant. Um, and then when you come down to verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law sick. He was moved again. And so what did he do? He put action to it. His desire was to see her pain, her suffering alleviated. And he did exactly what was necessary to alleviate that pain. He did that from a place of compassion. See, God understands these things. He understands where we are. He doesn't want you to suffer. There's no reason why we should suffer when he's already suffered for us. There's no reason for two people to suffer. It's needless. Totally unnecessary. He will always be moved with the feelings that we have. He'll always be moved by those things. And it requires our faith to reach out and let that compassion he has toward us move into our lives to alleviate that suffering. So what, that's what the centurion did. He exercised his faith. And as soon as, as, soon as Jesus said, he's, he's healed, go, he knew it was done. But I'm telling you what, in where it comes to capacity, I want you to, to go ahead and, and look at, at several places uh, Mark, Mark 1, hallelujah, 32 through 34, it says, And at evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with demons. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Go with me to Luke 4. Hallelujah. Luke 4, 40 through 41. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Do you see that? He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Well, that certainly implies he laid his hands on every one of them and every one of them was healed. Matthew 12, 15. We're going to go back and forth through the Gospels quite a bit here. Matthew 12, 15. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Now, in a great multitude, not everybody is sick. But in a great multitude, there's a whole lot of people who are. And it says he healed them all, every last one of them. Mark 3, verse 7 through 12. Mark 3, verse 7 through 12. 
But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, and they around Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And when he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him, for he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for him to touch them, to touch him as many as had plagues. An unclean spirit, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them they should not be made known. He healed them. Um, I think think we'll read all of these. But uh, we've got lots of different references. Uh, What was that one? That was Mark 3. You can go to Luke 6, 17 through 19. Matthew 12, 15. Mark 3, 7 through 12. Luke 6. Verses 17 through 9. No, I already said that one. Matthew 14, verses 34 through 36. Mark 6, 53 through 56. Places there where Jesus, it, it clearly says that Jesus healed them all. And then there's other places where you can, you can pretty much figure that out. In Matthew 4, verses 23 through 25. Matthew 9, 35. Matthew 15, verses 30 to 31. Matthew 19, 2. Matthew 21, 12 through 14, Luke 5 through 15, Luke 9, verse 11. Listen, in Matthew 4, 23, it says, Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and healing all manner of sickness and disease. All manner. There's no disease too big for God, no illness that he can't take care of, and, you know, one of the interesting things about it is in, every, in all these places, so many places where there's talks about multitudes and all, you have to understand that there, are, there was somebody in that multitude that looked just like you. And he healed them. There was not a time, I don't think, that, that you, could, you can find that there might have been a possibility that there was something out of the ordinary, so much so that he couldn't deal with it. But, but then again, it doesn't say that all these people were believers in him as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He, hasn't, he has not been crucified. He's not been raised from the dead. He's not ascended to the throne of the Father. They didn't recognize him. They just saw somebody who was healing and he healed them all without question. I, you know, I, I like that, that reference where it says that he laid his hands on all of them. Don't you know that as the Son of God, it was very possible that he could have laid his hands on those people and at some point go, oh, this one's not really living like they ought to be. Oh, this one's not doing that. Oh, this one's not doing this. Oh, you know, it's very likely. And yet he healed them. He healed them. So again, I think I said it earlier, don't let the enemy try to shortchange you from what belongs to you just because of what things you think don't measure up. See, the only thing that really matters is the fact that he measures up, that he's already taken this upon himself. He's already accomplished the work. He's already done everything that needed to be doing to gain your healing for you. And if there was anybody like you in that crowd, he healed them. And I guarantee you, because people don't change, 
because people are the same from generation to generation, from culture to culture. You'll find the same kind of attitudes, the same kind of problems, the same kind of issues in America that you do in Africa. People are the same all over. And I guarantee you they were the same in Jesus' day. And yet he didn't refuse to heal anybody. His healing is available to you unconditionally. Unconditionally. The only time that I see where Jesus was not able to do what he really wanted to do was in Mark, the sixth chapter. You're close by. Let's start in verse 1. It says, It went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From where has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and of Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And there he could do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. See, it wasn't on his end. The fact that they didn't get healed was not on his end. It was, it was on their end. Number one, they got offended because they had watched him grow up. They had seen that he was Mary and Joseph's son. He was just a carpenter. And now he comes back here, and he's trying to do all this. Well, who does he think he is? That happens a lot. It still happens today. People who know you too well when you were growing up. Oh, you're just little Johnny. You know, I spanked you when you were little. I had you in Sunday school. You know, who are you? And they dismiss the mighty working power in somebody's life. That's what they did here. They didn't recognize it. They were offended because they just felt like he was trying to be somebody that he, well, he's just a carpenter. Well, who's, who's, he, trying? who's he trying to prove? What's he trying to prove? Who's he trying to impress? And it says he could do no mighty work. Except say, put his hands on a few sick folk. Now that implies, I remember hearing Pastor teach on this before, and he said that that phrase, a few sick folk, there's an implication there that it was just people who had minor ailments. Just minor things wrong with them. But he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages teaching. You know what? Teaching always combats unbelief. You know, if, if people want to get healed and stay healed, you can, you can put yourself over on the mercy of God and you can, you can ascertain or, re, or receive healing for yourself. But to keep it, you're going to have to be taught. You're going to have to be taught, you know, about that. You're going to have to get into a place where you know what the Word of God says so when the enemy comes back, you say, no. The word says this. No, the word says that. No, the word says, says I am healed. The word says he himself took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. All my pains, all everything, he took it. I am the healed of the Lord. But in Matthew 8, you know, this, this is what we've seen. is that number one, he was willing. 
He's always going to be willing to hear you and to touch you and to heal you. Number two, he has the authority to do that. It's been given to him. Number three, his deep compassion enforces his willingness to heal you. And his capacity, his power will never run dry. His capacity is there in such a measure that it can heal anything and everything. There's not anything he's going to, he's not going to run out. Listen, I've used up all my cancer power for today. No, you'll never, you'll never find that. I've used up all my COPD power today. No, you'll never find that. God's capacity to heal, and he demonstrated it through Jesus, is that there's always enough power to get the job done. No matter what you have, no matter who you are, no matter how big it is, no matter how severe it is, no, ma- no matter how, how close to death you are, it's, the power is still there to get the work done, to accomplish everything that he said he could do and would do. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.